0: Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 125, Overflowing Life, part two. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight from 1st Thessalonians in chapter 3 and it's a prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonican Christians and it's in verse 12 and he says may the Lord make your love increase and abound or overflow for each other and for all men all human beings just as ours does for you. I'll leave it there. We're not going to get any further than that. May the Lord make your love increase and abound, overflow for each other and for all human beings. Paul is speaking, or rather writing, to new converts, brand new converts. Uh, In fact, if we go through the New Testament those who received this letter, the, one, the first one he wrote to the Thessalonians, um, they, they were the youngest in Christ. They, they had only recently come to know Jesus, and Paul had been separated from them, and he writes these letters to them. So this is what the earliest church said and prayed and gave vision to their newest converts. And what was that? It was that they would increase and abound in love for one another. And therefore, this statement that comes out of this prayer that Paul is praying is the most basic to the Christian life. You understand, this is what he's saying to brand new converts— those who have so recently come either out of Judaism and the synagogue or out of sheer paganism and they've come to Jesus, what are you going to say to them? What's their first steps of the Christian life? He says, this is what I'm praying for you, that you may increase and abound in love for one another and for all human beings. Now, I find that fascinating Because when I first became a Christian, and when anybody I knew at that time, and I'm speaking now, of course, a long time ago, back in the 1950s, coming out of the 40s, and um, we, we were told the very first advice that I was ever given to become a successful Christian was to, I remember it as clear as it was yesterday, read your Bible every day, Pray every day and go to church every time the doors are open. Well, that is not biblical. Do you, do you understand? And I know that there's a good number of you that receive that same kind of advice. This is the Christian life. You read your Bible, you pray, and you go to church. No, that that comes, it's there, obviously, it's there, but... Unless you have this, that Paul is praying for these new converts, then all the rest doesn't amount to anything. This is it, that your love may increase and abound. And I'll anticipate what I'm going to say, that this word love that he uses here is not your regular love between human beings. It is a word that describes the love that is found within the Holy Trinity. That is when it says, God is love. This is the word that they use. And so this is the love that the Father has for the Son. Hear me. This word that he's using here is the word that describes the love of God the Father for God the Son. And it is the word that the holy spirit celebrates in his person and is is now effusing into the world so this is god love in the fullest meaning of that it's god love He's saying that you, you brand new converts, you may exhibit and increase and overflow in the love that is unique to God himself. May that love, God love, flow in you and through you, increasing and abounding, overflowing. So you could say, may that love, this divine love, rise up from within you. Until it fills your life and then overflows to become rivers of divine light and love that cascade out of you to your world around you. So obviously, this is not speaking of what some persons might call deeper life, you know. This isn't something for unusual believers, the elite of the body of Christ. No, no, no. This is common and garden, brand new believers in the city of Thessalonica. Well, that's Paul's vision for believers. I mean, this is what a believer is. And please, please, what I just said is so important. This is not, hear me, this is not for elite believers. This is not for a special super class. This is what it means to be a believer or Christian. This is it. And this is Paul's vision. And therefore, this is what he's praying for these who have so recently come to Jesus, that the love that has been implanted in them in their new birth might now rise and fill them and increase and abound. And he shares it with them that they might catch the vision and pray the prayer for themselves and actually work this out and according to the second letter that he wrote to them um because uh having written this one he wrote another one and i i find it so interesting he says that um he he is now giving thanks to god that their love is increasing he said the reports that he has is that the prayer is in process of being answered. In a sense, it it never ends. We, we are ever praying this prayer for increase of love. But in the short time between the two letters, there had been this increase. Okay, well, let, let's go back to this word love because that's the subject of the prayer, that your love may increase and overflow So what is it? The Greek word that is used here is agape, A-G-A-P-E. And uh, many of you will have heard of that word, agape. But it's speaking of this agape as being in us, and the idea of increase and abound means, as I just said, to fill up until it goes over the side of the cup. And, and spills out over the table. That's, that's the meaning. So, this word agape, this divine love, is described as being in us. Now, hear me. This, this is new birth. This is the gospel received and now mightily at work in an individual. This is what it means to be Christian in the New Testament sense of the word. This is a believer that the divine love that we use to say God is love, this love that is is the, the fountain of love arising from the Father, revealed to us in Jesus the Son and, and spread abroad in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Divine love. So do not confuse this with any idea that we have of love in our modern world. When the word love is used... Uh, in the media, when it's used by most persons who would speak of that word, they're not talking about this. Love in our modern world is another universe. It's it's got nothing to do with this, and that's very confusing, I know. But love in in our world (coughs) is to do with feelings. It's to do with with a spontaneous reaching out to a person that uh, fits our idea of of happiness, uh, love. We like the person, hopefully. And and, and we also, in our twisted world, we tend to look at them as being able to satisfy us in some way. Uh, And there's a lot more to it. But that's this vague and of course in much of the media today the word love is equated with sex which has nothing to do with this this word agape it is self for others at the heart of agape there is a death hear my word there is death to self for myself For agape is the release of self for others. And and therefore, it is a heart attitude to begin with. It's an attitude that's expressed in the way we think about others. And you could say that that heart attitude and, and that thought process is the product of the Holy Spirit who is the divine power, energy of the Holy Trinity. And and, and there there is a life in us that is totally other than the life of this world. For this world that arises out of the Garden of Eden, it is self for myself. However nice we dress that up and however much we mask it, This world, which is controlled by our mortality, our flesh, which is under the authority of Satan, that world is self for myself. And as far as this world is concerned, that's where life is. That's where meaning is. That's where purpose is. Uh, It's all about me. And now... Here is another group of persons within this world and they are coming from a totally different base. And that base is none other than God the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and that personal energy of the Spirit joined with us is self for others. That's agape that's agape self for others and and it, it it seeks the best the highest best and the highest good for others agape it it, it comes out in words the way we speak it's not uh, just saying words by rote It it comes from an attitude, it comes from a way of thinking about others, and therefore the words that come out of our mouth, and maybe more importantly, the words we choose not to come out of our mouth, and we ban them from our thoughts, uh, any thoughts of unlove. No, out of our mouth come words that are seeking the highest good and the best for the other person to speak words of strength, to speak words of encourage, to speak words of blessing to others. That's agape. But it's not just words, it's action, it's what a person does. And this must never be confused with doing religious things that agape is not to be thought of primarily of giving out christian books or doing christian witnessing that will have its place but but this is simply seeking the good of others it's seeking the 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 best for them it's stepping into their point of need It, it is doing and that can, it's an entire world of possibilities. Just understand, it covers everything that I will do. It covers our giving um, in terms of our, our money. We've turned our life into dollars and cents, and now we use that for for the benefit and blessing and care of others. We become transmitters by touch. Yes, you heard me correctly, touch. For love, this kind of love reaches with its power into the physical and we transmit the love of God by touch and bring healing to persons' bodies. And if that sounds odd to you in the Bible, that's called the laying on of hands. And it's every believer, every believer is called to be doing that. It, it means that your presence in all the dimensions of your presence you are the presence of the divine love of God. I've been emphasizing it's the love of God and the Holy Spirit within us that produces this. It's, it's God the Holy Spirit who produces God love within us. So Therefore, and this goes without saying, but I really have to say it, that this word love, agape, you cannot imitate it. Paul is not saying, have a good try of being like Jesus. Oh, you've heard that stuff, haven't you? You Try and be like Jesus. Try and be like Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. You can't try and be like this. I cannot draw from my human flesh strength and try and produce this love. It is totally foreign. When John, in his letter, spoke of this love in chapter 3, in the first verse, do you remember what he says? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And that word, what manner of, the actual If we translated that literally into English, it is what foreign kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That is a love that doesn't come upon this earth. It it doesn't belong to the human flesh order. It, It belongs in the being of God. It's as if you were in the tundra of Alaska and saw a beautiful orchid, on a tree and, and you're stunned here in the frozen north you are looking at a flower that only grows in the Amazon and you would say what foreign kind of flower is this growing in the Arctic well that's exactly what John says what foreign kind of love it's a love that you don't produce on this earth it's the gift of God and you have to understand this, we're not merely trying to be nice chaps. It isn't that we're going to go off into the world to do our jolly best, to to be kind and, you know, do, what, what's that silly thing they put on cars? Random acts of kindness, senseless acts of love, no foundation, no reason, just try and be sort of nice. No, forget that. That actually is an imposter of the first order. This is divine love that arises from the Holy Spirit within us, and we don't try to produce it. We don't try and be like Jesus. Rather, we surrender to the Holy Spirit that he shall, within us, produce the divine love. Now, this word that came actually into the Scripture, essentially came into visibility in Jesus who is God from God to reveal God and so it's limitlessly infinitely beyond the Old Testament there's this word and all that it speaks of is not in the Old Testament the Old Testament probably reached as high as any human being could ever dream when they talked of God and their relationship to him They spoke of, well, God gave his command. It was the highest that humans could think that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the highest they could reach. Love your neighbor as yourself. And and then there came another word into the Old Testament, chesed, which means covenant love and god described himself as a god of covenant love and and the the persons believers of the old testament lived in that covenant love but that still is less than this. This word takes in all of that. And so I could say of agape that it is covenant love. It is covenant love taken to levels they'd never dreamt of. It is the ultimate of loving your neighbor as yourself. But but it's beyond that. It is God's own love. It is the very essence, the very being of God in us through the Holy Spirit's dwelling there, infinite. So how do you define it? The truth is I, I can't. Not ultimately. It's not something you define with words in a dictionary. Well, when I deal with the very person of God, how shall I know him? How shall I ever explain him and say this is what we're talking about? No, the scripture says that Jesus, Jesus is God joining to himself our humanity. He's 100% God and 100% human, one person. So that inside our humanness, we see what God is like. Jesus is the final definition of God. And so Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, He says, he and the Father are one. Uh, Colossians said that he is the visibilizing of the invisible God. Uh, And and we could go on. Um, When I meet with Jesus, I meet with this divine love, this love that is the Holy Trinity in action. I meet this love But meet this love within the limitations, within all that humanity is. God has become flesh and is now exegeting, explaining God, explaining his love. And so the verse that everyone knows, it says, For God so loved the world. And notice there, that trying to say this... (laughs) this difference that this love is. He said, so loved. Take everything you know of human love and then multiply it by a trillion and you still haven't got there. He so loved the world. Well, how shall I define that? God so loved the world that, aha, this is what this love will do, that he gave his only begotten Son. So Jesus, in his coming, his incarnation, Jesus in his life, Jesus in his offering himself in death and bloodshedding, Jesus in his resurrection and ascension, he is the definition, the revelation of this love of God, this agape. In 1 John, he says much the same thing, trying to define this word. He said, herein, is agape. Herein is agape. This is what it's all about. What is that? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son, the one who would die for us and shed his blood. So Jesus comes and he reveals this love that It is beyond human understanding. And I I use that term very carefully. Beyond human understanding. You remember in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus introduced this in that he hadn't spoken of it so clearly before. But he says, Matthew chapter 5 and verse, is it, 44. Um, and, And... Here we are. We got this. Um, He says, "You, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, okay. So he says, now something brand new, something so new. Hear me, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word perfect, uh, it's an unfortunate translation. It means complete. It means whole. It means full grown. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying, I'm introducing another kind of love, not just your neighbor, not just those you're in a covenant relationship with. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you and persecute you so that you will be sons of your Father in heaven. You will show the family traits, you see. And he says, your your Father loves all, does he not? He sends his rain on the fields of the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes his sun to shine on godly people and corrupt people. Now, you go and do likewise. Grow up and be children of God indeed. And, and remember in Romans 12, he said, if your enemy hunger feed him. This, Please, hear this. We, we've heard this read in church. We've read it ourselves. This, and, and somehow it slides over our head. Let, let me say something very controversial. But you go into many places that are called Christian and they, they would have crusades to stop a person smoking or drinking and they glide right over this. Do, do you realize we have invented sins in order to avoid the real thing? The greatest tragedy in churches today where believers come together is that they don't love each other, and you have silly quarrels and separations and not talking to each other. No, oh, this is basic. Jesus said, I have come, I am that. Love, which is God love, inhuman. And I've come that that love might be in you. And you go and love your enemies. Oh, <laughs> what? what? He, 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 he's the one who wept over Jerusalem. And we think that's so, you know, he wept over. Do you realize Jerusalem were the people who had rejected him? The pe- Jerusalem, they were the people who would, in a few hours' time, be saying, crucify him. It was Jerusalem people that put Jesus on the cross. You see, it was the Galileans, the northern people, that applauded him and said, Hosanna, son of David, and put their palm leaves down. That was the Galileans coming in. But it was the Jerusalem people that crucified Jesus. And Jesus wept. And as I've told you before, I believe it, the, the, the original language there is with great convulsive sobs. He looked over Jerusalem and he wept and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? But you would not. But no condemnation, you see. He he loved These who were his sworn enemies. And then when these enemies, these same people, had nailed him to the cross, he said words which again so many just skate over. It's too horrifying to hear it. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's a whole hour or two just in that one phrase. But Jesus prayed from the cross with the nails already in his hands and feet. He prayed for those that had so recently put him there. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Think about that. Stephen, that young deacon of the first church in Acts chapter 7, and and Stephen, remember when they stoned him to death. Do you remember as the stones are falling upon Stephen and the life is going out of him, his last words as he looked up at those who persecuted him, and of course the leader of the group was Saul of Tarsus, And he looked up and Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What does that mean? He recognized it had already been laid to the charge of Jesus. And and he is loving these people who are in the act of killing him. And he loves them in accord with the love that was revealed in Jesus. The love of Jesus, really and truly, it was the love of Jesus that caused the religious of his day to hate him and to plot his crucifixion because he sat down and ate with tax collectors who were the betrayers of their people. They were looked upon as the bottom of the sin barrel. You couldn't get any worse than a tax collector they were very much like our modern mafia they you didn't mess with a tax collector he'd get you and they hated them they wouldn't look them in the eye they openly spat at them jesus sat and ate with them which was uh, a an act of covenant, actually, to eat with them meant, I stand in solidarity with you. I am your friend and I will not forsake you or leave you. Jesus, come on, you've got to be crazy, Jesus. I mean, even folks that are not like the Pharisees, uh, I mean, people that are sort of nice, decent people who have been following you, when they see you sit with tax collectors, They're going to walk out on you. You've lost. You've lost your crowd. Your mission's over if you eat with tax collectors. But Jesus, how can I put this? Agape, this love that Jesus is, saw through behavior to the person inside, blinded by sin. And he spoke to that person. So he did not condemn them. That, up, that has upset religion ever since, that Jesus didn't condemn them. He told the parables in, in that context, in answering those who were horrified that he sat with tax collectors and he described these tax collectors as lost, which is a word which means something precious and you're going to call all resources to find this because it's lost. And when the prodigal in his story came home and said, I'm not worthy to be called your son and would begin to say all the things that were wrong with him, Jesus portrays the father as cutting through that and basically said, I don't care about that. You are my son. You are lost. You're found. You are dead. You're alive. We're home. What was this kind of love? What was it? Um, well, Jesus did not say that sin was okay. Which, uh, when I talk like this, I'm accused of saying, No. <laughs> Please understand, Jesus Jesus died because of sin. He never gave a stamp of approval on sin. But he revealed the love of God. He's the love of God in flesh. And, and God's love in flesh forgave sin which in no way said that sin was okay, it was nothing, no, no. It caused death in the very heart of God to forgive, as indeed it does when we forgive. Um, He forgave without condemnation and and reached out this love, this... Love beyond words, this love who is the Holy Spirit, transforming those who received. Love that forgave, and that word actually forgive, I I think would be better if we went back to exactly what that word means in the New Testament, which is to release you're released from sin, you're released from its darkness and bondage and guilt and its shame. You are released from sin. that's what forgiveness means. Jesus was saying, I-well, he said it to the woman, didn't he when when they threw her down, ready to stone her to death for her adultery and fornication. Jesus is so disgusted with that religion he won't even lift his face. To look at them in their sneering religious gloating over this woman. Instead rather he doodles in the sand rather than look at them. And when he finally looks up he says whoever is without sin cast the first stone and went back to his doodling And then he looked up, and they've all gone, and he turns to the woman, and he says, where are these your accusers? And she says, no no one. The only one there without sin, who in light of what he said, could have picked up a stone to stone her. Instead, he said, neither do I condemn you. That's forgiveness. I release you from your guilt. I release you from your shame. And Jesus, expressing the heart of the Father, he is the word of God himself. He says, neither do I condemn you. He forgives. He healed the sick. Sick of mind, sick of emotion, sick in body, He healed them, which is love in its power to make things right. He delivered persons from the bondage of Satan, which is love in its almighty victory. You see, Jesus never sympathized. That's our problem. We we sympathize with people. Boy, you... You've got this terrible disease and it's overwhelming just to talk about it with you and I don't know, I, 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 I'll pray for you, you know. Sympathy. You're, you're having a terrible time. I can see you're having a terrible time. It's, and and, and you, you, you have enough guilt and shame. No wonder you need a psychiatrist. Honey. And we sympathize. Jesus never sympathized. Jesus was rather, and the word all through the gospel says, was moved with compassion. And compassion, well, it says moved. The word compassion is action. Compassion is love that reaches into the impossible situation to transform it. Love's power, so he forgave the person their guilt and introduced them to a new life. And and, and he healed the sickness and he delivered from demons compassion. He came to those under the beating of religion and, and, and he taught them. It says he was moved with compassion and taught them this good news. And then he introduced us to this mission that the divine love has entered the human race and now the purpose of God expressed in Jesus is that... This love that you first seen in Jesus will now come into you. and you then will spread it. a new race of humans who are identified by love. And so Jesus gave one command: is one. Not 10. Not a thousand, just one. Love one another as I have loved you. Now that's it. Not not love your neighbour as yourself. Not even covenant love. But love one another as I have loved you with the divine love that has entered your hearts and embraces you. Now give it away. Love one another. As I have loved you, and as far as the world goes, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. That's how Jesus gave the world permission to look for his disciples. If the world could find people who loved one another with divine love, Jesus said, world, you've found my disciples. And whatever they say, if they don't have that, they're not my disciples. That's essentially what that is saying. So this this love that he's talking about, have you noticed something? I've talked about God loving you and filling you with his love. But then I've spoken only of that love being given away to others. And again, you see, back to what they told me when I first became a Christian. Read your Bible and pray every day and go to church. Now, what is that saying? It is saying that God has loved me, though they didn't emphasize that too much, but I'll assume that. So now I'm going to respond to God So he loved me, so I'm now going to attempt to love him, and I love him by reading his Bible and uh, and praying to him and then going to church to worship him. And I'm going to be sort of locked up in some sort of ghetto where we're all believers and we're all trying to love God enough. Do you realize that's not in the Bible? The Bible speaks of God's love for you. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandment. And what's his commandment? Love one another. Do you understand? We've got this idea of a U-turn. Here comes the love of God right into you, and we U-turn it and send it back to him. No. It's like the flow of water that comes into your house and, and it fills you, and now turn on the faucet and get rid of it. Love one another and love all human beings. We're, we're not called, Christian believer, you are not called to mystical isolationism. Where, where you sit alone and just sort of love God and hope you can love him enough and read your Bible enough and pray enough and go to enough gatherings of believers. No, no, no. No, that will find its place by and by. But the biggest command, the only command, that which makes Christians, is receive that love, stand amazed before that love, And then turn and love one another with the same love with which I have loved you. And that's what it says. And he said that. It's in uh, John. If you read John chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. That conversation that he had before he goes to the cross. And it's in there that he reiterates, love one another as I've loved you. But that that whole passage, it's about loving one another, but it's about the coming of the Holy Spirit to us. The same Holy Spirit that we met, first of all, coming upon Jesus, enabling Jesus, empowering Jesus. Now, Jesus said, I'm giving you that same Spirit. So... He says, love one another as I have loved you. And then in the same breath, he is saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come and live within you. And in his coming to live within you, the Father will come and live within you. And I, the Son, will come and live within you. Have we ever heard the gospel? You see, only God can produce God's love. And if you and I are going to love with God's love, the Holy Spirit who comes to us from the Father through Jesus to dwell in us, He produces that love. He is that love within us. Joined, united. Romans 5 and 5, it says, the love of of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a passage, it's in Colossians chapter 1, and, and it begins actually in, in, in verse 8, where, where it says, Paul is saying to the Colossians, I've heard of your love, love for one another that is in the Spirit. And that word in, it's such a massive word in the New Testament. It means this love that you have for one another that is brought about by the Holy Spirit working in you. And you in the Spirit, you completely wrapped up in the Holy Spirit has produced in you this love. And then he goes on as he prays for them, and he uses every word in the New Testament for power, God's power, and he piles the words on top of each other, that this power, in all these dimensions of divine power, so that you will be enabled, and he uses the word long-suffering and patience, which is two words describing expressions of love. He said that the very same words that are used to describe the resurrection of Jesus now describe the love of God being released into your life. This is you. If I were to describe my ministry, it is that I'm seeking to show believers who they really are. For to see a believer go through life blind and deaf to who they really are is one of the greatest tragedies in the world. You are this person I'm speaking of. You are the one in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, who is the shedder abroad, of the love of God, who is the very power of God himself, which is love within you to bring forth his love. You see, the great illusion of many believers is is separation. That somehow God's up there, you see. We're, We're down here. He's up there. I'm in trouble. Send up SOS flares. Hope he sees me. No. God dwells in you. He dwells in me. And therefore he dwells in us, the body of Christ. Couldn't be closer. Couldn't be closer. It is union with the Father, through Jesus the Son, made real within us by the Holy Spirit. And he's the love of God. I mean, you know this passage. He said, uh, well, actually, he goes through a whole bunch of things, and and, um, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, if I had all these things, that is, if I... I could produce all these outward effects if I don't have love, I'm nothing. It's interesting because he includes in there martyrdom. If I give my body to be burned, if if I give all my money to feed the poor, you know, I, I can have many outward symbols of Christianity. But he said if I don't have love, I've missed the whole jolly thing. And then he goes and he defines it as best he can. love, this divine love in us, is patient, is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This this love, this God love in us. When John spoke of it in his letters, he said that we as believers, we dwell, we live, we have residency inside of God, and God has residency inside of us, and he is love. And therefore, we know persons who dwell in God because they love their brothers. They love the humans that they find themselves alongside. And how can you say that you dwell in God to his love and not love? That's 1 John. He also says that we walk in the light and the light is God in whom there is no darkness at all. But then he goes on to say that that light is love. And he said, if you hate your brother, and hate is a word that that, that takes in all of the aspects of unloving. He said, if you hate your brother, you're walking in the darkness and you're stumbling because that unlove to your fellow human brings darkness and confusion to all of your life. That's what 1 John says. And then he says this love for one another is the mark of having received the divine life. He says we know that we have passed from death into life. How do we know that, John? John? Because we love the brothers and sisters. The first mark of this love is forgiveness. We release everybody. Which means going back to the persons that stand way back there. They stand as centers of pain and hurt. And you you look back over the decades and, and, and you shut them out. It's time to forgive. Remembering that that word means to release. Release them to the God who is love. Release them that he shall do with them as only he can. He can't trust me with that. I just release them and to say so down over the decades, I release you to the hands of the Father through Jesus Christ. To those closer to my present moment, family and friends and fellow believers and persons worked with, I release them. And I can do it sitting in my own room I hold them before the Lord and I say, I release them to you through Jesus Christ. And our love begins to increase and abound. I say it begins with forgiveness because that's where so many find themselves hopelessly stuck, you know, Jesus said on more than one occasion, which I find interesting, every time he mentioned prayer or the word of faith, he said that it doesn't work to a person who holds unforgiveness in his heart. So forgiveness is right here with what we're talking about, absolutely rock bottom foundation. And as we begin, first baby steps of forgiving as we've been forgiven. As we forgive in... And we forgive them with the same forgiveness that we have received. We begin to move into this increase. That is this life that you have, which is the love of God. Never stand still. It's never stagnant. It's always growing. It's an expanding circle. And I move and I begin to find the excitement of this to forgive and then to find positive ways of loving those in an increasing circle of my life. That's how it is. We, we find a greater capacity to love. The Holy Spirit, in in just the next chapter, First Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, we're taught of God, and he's speaking about the Holy Spirit there, we're taught of God, the Holy Spirit, to love one another. And that word taught, today we might use the word coach. The Holy Spirit is our coach in this matter of loving one another. He tells us from within the ways of God's love. Well, my time has gone and I think we'll visit this again. Um, There's a lot to be said here. It's a burden upon me that without this love of God flowing through us, we've missed it totally. We're just going around in circles. Let this prayer in 1 Thessalonians become your prayer for the next week. Pray it day and night that there shall be an increase and increase to the point of overflowing of the love of God in you and through you, so that out of you there shall flow to all around you rivers of living water. And as you ask for that, be very childlike in your faith and say, then it's done. Every time you say amen, you know, the word amen means so it is. And so I pray and I say, so it is. So, I don't start looking to see how loving I am and how spiritual I am. I just plunge into life to live normally. But I look back on it and realize how the Holy Spirit is beginning to coach me and introduce me to this life of increase and overflow. This is who you are, this is the hope of your calling. So I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, wake up and begin this adventure of being who you are. Now, the blessing of God, who is Almighty Love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I bless you with His love being shed abroad in your life, that in this next week you shall increase and abound in love to all those within your circle and beyond. That's how I bless you. That's the way it is. That's the way it will be. Amen.